Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord. Uh, be it uh, be it in this room, that room, we thank you for a place to meet, and Lord, we thank you for uh, for the reason that we that we meet together. Father, we thank you for the love that you that you give each and every one of us to the other. We thank you for the fellowship that we have here. We thank you, Father, for all of our fellowship together with you and with your Son, our Savior. And we pray, Lord, that uh, that you would teach us, guide us, enlighten our minds, and empower us through your Word and by your Holy Spirit tonight, Lord. In our Savior's name, Amen. All right, moving on in Romans in chapter nine, we um, got in around through uh, verses seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, and in in about there. Let's. Um, Let's pick it up. It's starting verse 14. Uh, Paul is talking again about the uh, about the sovereignty of God, and particularly as it relates to uh, to Israel and to to dispensational changes. And I said to you that the uh, the sovereignty of God shows itself most um, most prominently in in. Uh, in certain uh, uh, areas and aspects of the things that that he does in creation, in salvation among the nations, and in the dispensations, it's, they all rhyme. It's easy to remember. Um, and the uh, the sovereignty of God is coming out here in this passage of scripture. In uh, in more than one of those areas, but particularly in the dispensational changes that God is is doing uh, with the nation of Israel at the time that Paul writes the book of Romans. So, beginning in verse fourteen, what shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? God forbid. For he saith to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then, it is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. For the Scripture saith unto Pharaoh, Even for this same purpose have I raised thee up, that I might show my power in thee, and that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. Therefore hath he mercy on whom he will have mercy, and whom he will he hardeneth. Thou wilt say then unto me, Why doth he yet find fault? For who hath resisted his will? Nay, but, O man, who art thou that repliest against God? Shall the thing formed say to him that formed it, Why hast thou made me thus? Hath not the potter power over the clay of the same lump to make one vessel unto honor and another unto dishonor? What if God, willing to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction, and that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy which he had afore prepared unto glory, even us whom he hath called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. Let's stop there for a moment. So um, we talked about that passage, uh, that first part of that passage last time we talked about Pharaoh and how his heart was hardened and the Bible says that God hardened Pharaoh's heart and it says that Pharaoh hardened his own heart and we looked at some of the details of those things and how that uh, how the mechanics of that kind of kind of worked and um, 
Paul says, uh, again, as he does throughout this book of Romans, he anticipates an argument in verse 19 when he says, Thou wilt say then unto me, Why doth he yet find fault? For who hath resisted his will? And the, the question there is, if, uh, if it's God, it's not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God who shows mercy. If, if, uh, if God wanted Pharaoh's heart to be hardened, why then, after it is hardened, does God find fault with Pharaoh? If Pharaoh didn't resist God's will. He only did what God wanted him to. So how does God find fault then? Uh, because who has resisted his will? And the, um, the answer that Paul gives there is, um, it, it, it relates to the fact that God is the creator and you and I are creatures. And he, he, um, essentially says, how dare you question God? Now, God is not in this passage. The Holy Spirit is not is not pulling a um, uh, because I'm the dad. That's why kind of a thing here. Although that would be good enough. How is it that God can do these things? Well, because He's God. What more do you need? He's sovereign. And Paul uh, essentially takes that kind of spirit when he says, "Nay, but O man." Who art thou that repliest against God? Shall the thing formed say to him that formed it, Why hast thou made me thus? And Paul is, he's, uh, what he's doing is, he's trying to bring out our, our low, uh, position before God. And that we have absolutely no right to, uh, to gainsay, to backtalk, who, to reply against. That's what that means. Who art thou that repliest against God? Now, we have seen, and we will see again tonight in this further context, that while all of that is true, it is, it's not for us to question God. Uh, we are in no position to, to second-guess Him. We don't know what He knows we don't see what he sees. Uh, we we just know that God is good, and and the Judge of all the earth will do right, and we trust him and uh, and submit ourselves under his hand. While that's true, that doesn't mean that that it's just that that might makes right when it comes to God, and God just does these things because he can and just kind of arbitrarily and callously uh, uh, moves pieces or, uh, people around like pieces on a, on a chessboard. There are methods and mechanics and reasons behind the things that God does, and they are reasons uh, of, of, of reason, of logic, and of rightness. So Paul says, why doth he yet uh, find fault? For who hath resisted his will? Uh, nay, but, O man, who art thou that repliest against God? Shall the thing formed say to him that formed it, Why hast thou made me thus? Now, he's talking about Pharaoh. Come back with me to uh, get Jeremiah chapter 25. 
and I'm going to compare that. Um, well, we'll stay in the book of Jeremiah for a little bit. So get Jeremiah chapter 25, and I, want, I just want to take a look at some things here, and and let's get some kind of a uh, of an understanding of the the argument of the creature here in the in in this passage that that Paul is is giving to us. Why hast thou made me thus? Um, God puts people in the Bible into positions that he wants them to be in in order to fulfill his will. He opens doors. He allows people to do things that he wants done. Now, that does not mean that that person uh, then has free reign to just go in through that open door uh, sinfully and in rebellion against God. For example, God tells us in, in, in Ephesians through the Apostle Paul, Be ye angry and sin not. Now, is that God... Um, putting us in a position to sin and then telling us not to. Be ye angry, but sin not. Now what does that say to me? That, that God is dangling this temptation to sin in front of me and saying, don't sin, but here, do this, but don't sin. No. It, it means that there is a way to be angry and still be in the will of God. Just like there was a way for Pharaoh to say, no, these people are staying here, and still be in the will of God. And there was a way... Jeremiah chapter 25. Let me sh- let's take a look at, at, at this one example here. <clears throat> Jeremiah uh, chapter 25... Verse, um, start with verse 8. We could read the whole chapter here. But this is talking about Nebuchadnezzar and the carrying away of Israel into Babylon. Therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, because you have not heard my words, Israel, behold, I will send and take all the families of the north, saith the Lord, and Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant, and will bring them against this land and against the inhabitants thereof and against all these nations round about and will utterly destroy them and make them an astonishment and a hissing and a perpetual desolations. So God says, I am going to, because of your disobedience, Israel, I am going to take Nebuchadnezzar, king of the Chaldeans, king of Babylon, and he, my servant, he calls him, He's going to come in here and he's going to carry you all away captive and he's going to uh he's going to uh, uh ruin your your land and he's going to take you away in chains and he's going to be doing my will as he does it. The nations are going to serve uh, at the end of verse 11. They shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. Okay, so here's the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, he's going to do the will of God by uh, chastising the people of God. Verse 12, And it shall come to pass, when seventy years are accomplished, that I will punish the king of Babylon, and that 
nation, saith the Lord, for their iniquity and the land of the Chaldeans, and will make it perpetual desolations. And I will bring upon that land all my words which I have pronounced against it, even all that is written in this book when Jeremiah hath prophesied against all the nations. So now here's God. He's got a, a, a purpose that He wants accomplished. He's got a person handpicked, calls Him by name, uh, that He's going to have accomplished. It calls Him His servant in the fulfilling of His will. And He says He's going to go and do that. And when He's done, I'm going to punish Him for it. Now, what's up with that? Well, number one, I just misspoke. Because God doesn't say, I'm going to send him in to do this and then punish him for it. What does God say? It shall come to pass when the 70 years are accomplished, verse 12, that I will punish the king of Babylon, and that nation saith the Lord, for what? For their iniquity. What iniquity? He didn't, he, didn't the king of Babylon do exactly what God told him to do? Well, let me ask you. If you got angry, and in that anger you sinned, can God find fault with you? Sure He can. But all I did, Lord, was get angry like you told me to. Nebuchadnezzar says, all I did was go in and take Israel captive like you told me to. Well, what God told Nebuchadnezzar to do was go in and take Israel captive. He didn't tell him to go and do it in iniquity. The king is punished for his iniquity. This will, we'll look at some more verses and it will get clearer for you in a minute. Look, look over in chapter 50. Jeremiah chapter 50. Why is Nebuchadnezzar being punished for doing God's will? Jeremiah chapter 50. Uh, verse... Get verse 9. Just read a couple verses here. For lo, I will raise and cause to come up against Babylon an assembly of great nations from the north country, and they shall set themselves in array against her. From thence she shall be taken. Their arrows shall be as of a mighty, of mighty expert men. Um, none shall return in vain. And Chaldea shall be a spoil. All that spoil her shall be satisfied, saith the Lord, because ye were glad. Because ye rejoiced, O you destroyers of mine heritage. Because you are grown fat as the heifer at grass and bellow as bulls. And he goes on, your mother shall be sore, confounded, and so forth. You see that? You went in and you did the will of God. You were angry, but you didn't sin not. You went in and you took Jerusalem, you took Israel, but you sinned in the process. How did they sin? Because you were happy. You rejoiced in it. These are the people of God on the earth. And God commands you. He's going to use you as a tool to chasten and to hurt and to destroy that His own nation on the earth. And you go in there with glee and with joy. 
and with sin and iniquity. And yes, you went in and you fulfilled the sovereign will of God. But yet, you've got punishment. You've got judgment coming. Because you shouldn't, have, uh, you shouldn't have done it with that sinful heart of yours. Uh, uh, Pharaoh, same way. He could have said, God of all the nations of all the earth, what is your will in this situation? God would have said, my will is that they stay here for a little while longer. And he said, okay, Lord. You know, he could have done it that way. You say, well, that's not realistic. Well, let me ask you, is it realistic to be angry and not to sin? That's not easy. The fact of the matter is that it's a situational thing. Here. Here's a name you haven't heard in about five minutes. Tiger Woods. You know these athletes... They can't help themselves. Everywhere they go, there's beautiful women just throwing themselves at them. What's a guy supposed to do? Lord, why hast thou made me thus? Right? Now you know what a guy is supposed to do. Not only do you know what he's supposed to do, but you see it. You see it in the Bible, you see it every day in your own life. He's supposed to do what Joseph did. Leave his, leave his coat in the, in, the, in the clutches of that seductress and run out screaming for his life. That's what he's supposed to do. Flee youthful lusts. That's what a guy's supposed to do. So, Lord, you put me in this position. You gave me these gifts. You gave me these talents. Now you're going to hold it against me when I just do the natural thing that guys do? Come on. Look back in uh, Isaiah chapter 47. Isaiah chapter 47, again, we could, uh, we could read the whole chapter, I suppose. But let's read enough to get the idea. Isaiah chapter 47. <clears throat> Again, talking about Babylon. Isaiah 47. Come down and sit in the dust, O virgin daughter of Babylon. Sit on the ground. There is no throne, O daughter of the Chaldeans, for thou shalt no more be called tender and delicate. Take the millstones and grind meal. Uncover thy locks. Make bare the leg. Uncover the thigh. Pass over the rivers. Thy nakedness shall be uncovered. Yea, thy name, uh, thy shame shall be seen. I will take vengeance, and I will not uh, meet thee as a man. As for our Redeemer, the Lord of hosts is His name, the Holy One of Israel. Sit thou silent, and get thee into darkness, O daughter of the Chaldeans, for thou shalt no more be called the Lady of Kingdoms. I was wroth with my people. I have polluted mine inheritance, and given them into thine hand. Thou didst show them no mercy. Upon the ancient hast thou very heavily laid thy yoke. And thou saidst, 
I shall be a lady forever, so that thou didst not lay these things to thy heart, neither didst remember the latter end of it. Therefore now hear this, thou that art given to pleasures, that dwelt carelessly, that sayest in thine heart, I am, and none else beside me. I shall not sit as a widow, neither shall I know the loss of children, but these two things shall come to thee in a moment, in one day, the loss of children and widowhood. And they shall come upon thee in their perfection for the multitude of thy sorceries and for the great abundance of thine enchantments. So there's the idea. I was, I was wroth with my people. I had, uh, a, a, there was a chastening coming on my people and I chose you as my servant to do it. And you went in there and you did it mercilessly and you did it vindictively and you did it with evil. And now you're going to be punished. Again, what were they supposed to do? Compare two verses with me. Get Jonah, chapter 1, and get Matthew, chapter 27. Jonah, chapter 1, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah. You know where Joel's at. It's tucked away in there in the minor prophets. Right after Obadiah. And Matthew 27. Jonah, we know what happens with Jonah. God comes to him and says, I want you to go and preach to Nineveh. And Jonah doesn't like that idea, so he takes off in the other direction, boards a boat, tries to run. And again, in a spectacular show of sovereignty, God says, where are you going, Jonah? <laughs> in a... In a uh, in a way that Jonah heard loud and clear, uh, God causes a great storm to come up and um, puts at peril the lives of every uh, man that's uh, boarded on that on that boat with Jonah, and um, they uh, they cast lots to find out who. Uh, who's the cause of this horrible storm that they're all going to die in. And verse 11, the lot falls on Jonah. And they said unto him, What shall we do unto thee, that the sea may be uh, calm unto us? For the sea uh, wrought and was tempestuous. And he, they, they asked Jonah, Well, what should we do? Because Jonah just told them, this, Guys, you're in this because of me. This storm is because of me. God's bringing it against me and, and your collateral damage. And, he, and they said, so what should we do? And he said unto them, take me up and cast me forth into the sea. So shall the sea be calm unto you. For I know that for my sake this great tempest is upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to bring in the, uh, into land, but they could not. For the sea wrought and was tempestuous against them. So they, so Jonah says, "Here's you got to pick me up and you got to toss me overboard," and they didn't want to do it. Now these are 
heathen. These are not Jewish uh, sailors here. Uh, but they didn't want to do it. And, and they, so, they, so they try rowing. And they can't get to shore because the, because the, uh, the, the storm is, is pushing them back out. Wherefore, verse 14, they cried unto the Lord. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. Jehovah. And said, We beseech Thee, O Lord, we beseech Thee, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not upon us innocent blood. For Thou, O Lord, hast done as it pleased Thee. So they took up Jonah, and they cast him forth into the sea, and the sea ceased from her raging. Now here's some guys, minding their own business, suddenly find themselves in the path of the will of God. There's a storm, and the only way to stop the storm and save their own lives is to kill this man of God, to throw him overboard. And they say, no, we're not going to do that. And they start rowing, and they're rowing, and they're trying to get out of the storm, and they can't get out of the storm. And finally, when they realize that they have no choice, they mourn. And they say, Lord God, lay not this innocent blood upon us. This was your will. And we're doing your will. And they pick Jonah up and they toss him over the side. Now, that's how you act as an instrument of God in a, in a chastening situation like that. Now, compare that with Matthew chapter 27 because in Matthew chapter 7 is really the crux of the matter of what Paul's talking about in Romans chapter 9. Matthew chapter 27 is the uh, the trial and the uh, crucifixion of the Lord. And verse 24 Matthew 27:24 When Pilate saw that he could prevail nothing now look at this here back up back up with me for a minute here because look at the parallels here um Verse 17, let's go all the way back to verse 17. Therefore, when they were gathered together, Pilate said unto them, the, the, all these Jews, Whom will you that I release unto you, Barabbas or Jesus, which is called Christ? For he knew that for envy they had delivered him. And when he was set down on the judgment seat, his wife said unto him, sent unto him, saying, Have nothing to do... Uh, with that just man. For I have suffered many things this day in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and elders persuaded the multitude that they should ask Barabbas and destroy Jesus. And the governor answered and said unto them, Whither of the twain will you that I release unto you? And they said, Barabbas. And Pilate said unto them, What shall I do with Jesus, which is called Christ? And they all say unto him, Let him be crucified. And the governor said, Why? What evil hath he done? But they cried out the more, saying, Let him be crucified. And when Pilate saw that he could prevail nothing, you see what Pilate's doing? Pilate's rowing against the storm. They're all demanding the crucifixion. But Pilate throws up his hands in the end and, and, and 
throws in with them because he didn't have the guts to do uh, anything else. Uh, he he prevailed nothing, but that rather a tumult was made, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. See ye to it. Now, Pilate, he goes halfway here, and he says, I don't want this innocent blood on my hands, just like those guys over there in, uh, in the boat with Jonah. But he... Uh, rather than fulfilling the will of God, turns the Son of God over to into the hand of, of wickedness here. And then you see in verse 25, Then answered all the people and said, His blood be on us and on our children. And then released he Barabbas unto them. And when he scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. So on the one hand, you've got two groups of of, of of people here. You got those sailors in the boat with Jonah saying, Lord, we'll do your will. We don't like it. We hate it. We're knocking ourselves out to do anything but. But if this is all that we can do is to, is to throw this man of God overboard, then we'll do it because it's your will. And they did it mourning. Then you have this group of people here in Matthew that take uh, uh, the greater than Jonah and and say, let his blood be on us and on our children. Crucify him. Crucify him. Wasn't it God's will that the Lord be crucified? Yes, it was. But how should they have done it? They should have done it like the guys on the boat. They should have said, Lord, we hate this, that we have to do this. And they should have mourned and took the Lord and and walked him to that cross and nailed him there weeping and mourning as they watched him die for their sins that's what they should have done but that's not what they did so you have another situation here where again why doth he yet find fault for who hath resisted his will the Jews were only doing what God decreed from before the foundation of the world that Christ should be crucified be ye angry, but sin not. Back in Romans chapter 9. Now, it's these people that Paul is talking about. All of this Pharaoh and Jacob and, and his sons and Abraham and his two sons and, 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 and Pharaoh and Moses and, and all of these things. What Paul is doing is he's giving us examples of why God has dealt with Israel today the way that he has. That Israel is cast off. And only a remnant is being saved. Back in Romans chapter 9. So why doth he, thou wilt say then unto me, verse 19, why doth he yet find fault for who hath resisted his will? Nay, but O man, who art thou that repliest against God? Shall the thing formed say to him that formed it, Why hast thou made me thus? And hath not the potter power over the clay of the same lump to make one vessel unto honor and another unto dishonor? See, now we're talking about, he's, he's getting down to the point here. We're talking about the nation of Israel. He's, he's, he's given us examples of, of, of uh, taking clay of the same lump. He says back in uh, verse 10, Not only this, but when Rebekah also had conceived by one, 
even by our father Isaac. So again, two children of the same father, of the same mother, of the same birth, twin boys, takes one and makes him a vessel unto honor, and the other one makes him a vessel unto dishonor. And, and, and Paul's using those things as a type as he gets down here to start talking about the nation of Israel. And, the, and what God has done is He has taken the nation and He split it into, into two. He's taking a, a, a believing remnant on the one hand and the unbelieving nation on the other and He's making a difference between them. And He is uh, forming the unbelieving nation into a vessel of wrath as He forms that believing remnant into a vessel of mercy. Hath not the potter power over the clay of the same lump to make, the ve- to make one vessel unto honor and another unto dishonor? Come, uh, come back to uh, Jeremiah th- uh, chapter 18 this time. Let's get down through this passage. Jeremiah chapter 18. Paul's talking about the, uh, about the potter and the clay. I'm going to get uh, also, just to save us a little bit of time, Isaiah 29. We'll, we'll go there next. Isaiah 29 is what Paul's actually quoting there. Jeremiah chapter 18, the potter's house. Jeremiah chapter 18, the word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will cause thee to hear my words. And I went down to the potter's house, and behold, he wrought a work on the wheels. And the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter, So he made it again another vessel, as seemed good to the potter to make it. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, O house of Israel, cannot I do with you as this potter, saith the Lord? Behold, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are ye in my hand, O house of Israel. At what instant I shall speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to pluck up and to pull down and to destroy it? If that nation against whom I have pronounced uh, against whom I have pronounced turn from their evil, I will repent of the evil that I thought to do unto them. And at what instant I shall speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to build and to plant it, if it do evil in my sight, that I will obey not uh, that it obey not my voice, then I will repent of the good wherewith I said that I would benefit them. So there's the potter. And people, you know, they take Romans chapter 9 sometimes and they say, well, see, God's the potter and we're all the clay and He can do whatever uh, He wants for whatever reason He wants. And that's true enough, but the, but the context of that, of that thought and of that spirit is that there's really no reason other than that just because it, because it pleases God to do so. And God says here, you're, you're the clay. I'm the potter. I can form you and make you uh, in, in any way I choose to, but... You, you notice the the clay was marred in the hand of the potter. And God says, I'm forming you. I'm forming you for a purpose. You know, uh, uh, there are vessels, Paul says, some unto honor and some unto dishonor. 
And a potter can can take the same lump of clay and he can make a beautiful uh, vase out of it and put it up on the on the mantle, the centerpiece of the of the house, and and make it a, a vessel of honor. And he can take the other half of that lump and make a make a chamber pot out of it. One unto honor, another unto dishonor. But let me ask you something. Is either one of them without purpose? Isn't there a use for them both? You might say the chamber pot's more useful than the vase. You can get along without a vase. Can't get along without a toilet. Honor and dishonor is is simply a position of uh, where God puts a nation or a kingdom, and you notice that's what he's talking about, to fulfill his will. The nation or the kingdom then responds one way or the other. If they do iniquity, if my purpose is to do them good and they do iniquity, I'll repent. I'll make them another vessel. If my purpose was to do them evil, that is uh, destruction, and they, they, they repent and they do good, I'll change my mind and I'll make them a vessel unto honor. So God has a purpose and He's going to do what He wants to do uh, in order to fulfill His purpose. But the vessels are acting and God is reacting. And there's this relationship that goes on within the context of the sovereignty of God. So that when He comes to Israel, back Isaiah 29, this is the, the passage that Paul actually quotes there in, in Romans 9. As God is acting in His sovereignty, fulfilling His will, all He asks is that His servants in the fulfilling of that will do it with a heart and with a conscience toward Him, the way the guys in the boat did it. And we see example after example after example of that through the Scripture. People doing God's will for the right reason. Doing the right thing the right way for the right reason with the right heart. It's when we see the reverse that, that we get confused. And we go, well, he was just fulfilling God's will. What's the problem? You know, talk about honor and dishonor. David, King David. God was with him from the very beginning, from the time he fought the, the, the lion and the bear, till he fought Goliath, till he, till he fought the Philistines. Every battle, every war, David was a great man of war with God at his side, fighting those battles for him, giving him victory after victory after victory. And the whole time it was in David's heart to build a house, to build a temple for God. So much so that he, he drew up the plans. And he gathered the materials from all over the world. He brought in the timber and the gold and, and all the things for this tremendous temple. And he, and he was the architect of it as God uh, led him to design the thing. But when it came time to build it, God said, You know what, David? You're a man of blood. I'd really rather not that a man of blood build my temple. Again, why doth he yet find fault? For who hath resisted his will? David was doing the will of God. And God said, 
you know what? Your son is going to be a man of peace. He'll build my temple. And David could have said, yeah, my son's going to be a man of peace because I spent 40 years uh, bleeding and drawing blood and bought that peace for him and made peace with our enemies round about by whooping them so he could be a man of peace and he gets to build your house. But David didn't say that. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Thanks for the opportunity to serve in the capacity that you gave me. And David didn't get the honor of building God's house. Solomon got it on the labor of his of his father. That's God's sovereign will. Moses, 40 years, suffered with those people in the wilderness and was stopped short at the at the at the river. Now, Moses, it's it's it doesn't fulfill the type for you to lead them in. I need Joshua. I need Jesus to lead them in. And that's the way it went. Does that mean that Moses is dishonorable? Does that mean that David is dishonorable? No, it just means that Moses didn't have the honor of leading them into the promised land and David didn't get the honor of building the temple because that wasn't God's purpose for them. Again, example after example of people who do it the right way. We're not shocked when people do it the right way. We're only shocked when people get punished for doing it the wrong way. Isaiah chapter 29. Oh, Ariel! Woe to Ariel! Ariel is Jerusalem. And we don't have time to uh, read the whole passage here. But um, let's see. Get verse 13. Wherefore the Lord saith, for as much as this people will... And uh, we got to back up. Um, verse 9. Isaiah 29.9 Stay yourselves and wonder. Cry ye out and cry. They are drunken, but not with wine. They stagger, but not with strong drink. For the Lord hath poured out upon you the spirit of sleep, deep sleep, and hath closed your eyes, the prophets uh, and your rulers and seers hath He covered. And the vision of all is become unto you as the words of a book that is sealed which men deliver to one that is learned, saying, Read this, and I, I pray thee. And he saith, I cannot, for it is sealed. And the book is delivered to him that is not learned, saying, Read this, I pray thee. And he saith, I am not learned. Wherefore the Lord said, For as much as this people draw near unto me with their mouth and with their lips do honor me, but have removed their heart far from me, and their fear toward me is taught by the precept of men. Therefore, behold, I will proceed to do a marvelous work among this people, even a marvelous work and a wonder. For the wisdom of their wise men shall perish, and the understanding of their prudent men shall be hid. And woe unto them that seek deep to hide their counsel from the Lord. And their works are in the dark, and they say, Who seeth us, and who knoweth us? Surely your turning of things upside down shall be esteemed as the potter's clay. For shall the work say of him that made it, He made me not? Or shall the thing framed say of him that framed it, He had no understanding? Is it yet a very little while, and Lebanon shall be turned into a fruitful field, and the fruitful field shall be esteemed as a forest, and in that day shall the deaf hear the words of the book, and the eyes of the blind shall see out of obscurity and out of darkness. 
He's talking about, see, this is where Paul gets the, the, the passage. This is where he quotes there in Romans chapter 9. What it's talking about, verse 11, the vision of all is become unto you as words of a book that is sealed. We've looked at that verse before in other contexts. He's talking about the whole Bible. The vision of all, the completed vision, the completed revelation. When the Bible's complete, you're not going to see it. You're not going to know. When the, when the second part of this thing is done, you're going to have blinders on. And you're not going to be able to see when the whole thing opens up. And I reveal to the world what I've been doing all this time throughout the Old Testament and all these shadows and all this darkness and all of these, these hidden uh, 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 truths that I've, been, that I've been showing you in pictures and in different ways. I'm going to open that all up in the, in, the, in the second, in part two. And when that happens, when the vision of all comes, it's going to be darkness. It's going to be like a book that's sealed. And someone's going to bring it to you and say, read it, and you're going to say, I can't, it's sealed. And another's unlearned. What did Peter say? They that are unlearned and unstable rest the Scriptures. And you're not going to know. You're not going to see it. Why? Because I'm going to cause a deep sleep. I'm going to pour out upon you the spirit of sleep and uh, uh, cause a, a great blindness to come upon Israel. That's what Paul's talking about in Romans chapter 9. And the blind are going to see and the deaf are going to hear. But you who say you see will be blind. And the blind will have their eyes open. And that's exactly what happened. That's what happened that, that, that transitioned us into this dispensation that we're in today. And there is a division in the nation of Israel today. And, and, it's, and it's according to the sovereignty of God, but it, it happened to, to each uh, part of that nation because of their response to God's dispensational sovereignty. Are you going to go with the program? Or are you going to refuse? Are you going to harden your heart? Are you going to harden your neck? Are you going to... Uh, to go along with what God is doing and humble yourself under the, under the hand of God as He changes everything that you know? Are you going to say, yes, Lord? Even if you were part of that great vessel of honor, the nation of Israel, or at least what you perceived in your mind was this great vessel of honor, the people of God, now all of a sudden it's open to, to everyone and, and, and it's you and it's, and, and it's the Gentiles and, and, and you can all come into this body of Christ. Are you going to go with that program or are you going to dig in your heels in rebellion against God? And, and, and Paul's point there in Romans chapter 9 is that, look, God is the... It's not of Him that willeth nor of Him that runneth this is of God. He decides how this thing goes. And the rivers of waters, they're in His hands. And he, he decides which way they turn. And Israel uh, kicked against the pricks. Israel uh, bucked the system. So God split them in two, just like He did after Solomon. And He pulled out a believing remnant. 
and he, and there was a blinded nation and as that dispensational progression continued to move by the time you get to Paul in Romans chapter 9 you got Jews in Rome you got Gentiles in Rome and they're all part of this this one body this body of Christ the vessels of mercy that God has before prepared unto glory and we're out of time we'll get into that passage next time but the idea here of the of the potter and the clay is that God has the right to take that lump and tear it in two and do wonderful things with half of it and do terrible things with the other half. Which half you happen to fall in is up to you. And yet God remains sovereign. We'll stop there. Father, we, uh, <clears throat> I pray, Lord, that, uh, that we would understand the, uh, the awesome power and right that you carry as our Creator, as God of this universe to act in a, in a way that, that leads all things to the end that you know and that you have before ordained Lord, I pray that we would have in this life the confidence of knowing that you are in fact sovereign and that when things seem to us to be tempestuous and fighting against our own efforts, Lord, that we would know that all these things are in your hand. And Father, that... Uh, that as we are led by Your grace, by Your Spirit, by Your Word, together through Your will, that we would do it not grudgingly, but cheerfully, willingly, with zeal and joy, just knowing that You are leading us toward Your own destination. Father, we thank You for that comfort and for that confidence. In our Savior's name, amen.